At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. If you thought the correction was over, our headline guest today says not so fast. Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist, Mike Wilson, is here to make his case on why stocks still are likely to go lower. We'll debate that, of course, with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Steve Weiss, Jim Labenthal, and Josh Brown. Stocks largely mixed after a couple of very strong days. Dow's still giving back 44. S&P's now negative by a fraction. And the Nasdaq is still holding on to its gain of the day. Let's bring in Mike Wilson. He's been looking for a 10 to 15 percent correction in the market. Mike, welcome back. It's good to see you. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Glad you joined us today. Jim Cramer says the S&P is, quote, done getting slammed. Why do you think it's not? Well, look, I think the markets have been going through a bit of a rolling correction really since March. Uh, and that fits our narrative that we've been sort of espousing here, which is more about rotations and then it's about the index. And, you know, look, when this happens historically, Scott, with, you know, when, when you get these sort of rolling corrections, the market always goes after the weakest length first. And we've seen that sort of in sequential order as we typically do, right? Started with the very expensive, you know, unprofitable companies when rates went up. Then it moved into, uh, you know, some of the reopening stocks. Now it's moving into the the pure cyclical stocks. Um, you know, the growth stocks had their correction last year in the beginning of this year, um, and so now what's all that's left is the index. And it reminds me a lot of 2018. We kind of had a similar conversation. We were talking about the rolling bear market. We thought it would be more severe then because it was the end of the cycle. This is still, you know, early to mid cycle, but. You know, rolling corrections can happen during bull markets, and that's what's going on. So we think it ends with a correction at the index level, and that would be very helpful. That would Then you can kind of reset the playing field. Valuations will be more justifiable, and we can focus back then on earnings growth. But there are plenty of things we think that the market, you know, has been focused on beneath the surface, whether that's decelerating growth, decelerating money supply growth. Um, I'm talking about the Fed having to move the, the, the conversation to when they're going to start tapering with the Delta variant. And then the, the, the one issue that we think we have a little bit of an out of consensus view on is this idea that we overconsumed last year. And there's going to be payback and demand that has to kind of flow through in the estimates for the next two quarters. And then we can kind of reaccelerate from there. Just to be clear, though, you, you think this is a lot more than historical precedent, right? I mean, you think earnings are going to decelerate. In fact, maybe they already are in your estimation. And you think the economy is going to be worse than, than people think. Um, it's a hard case to make, right? I mean, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic. Yes, I understand the Delta variant is, is still out there, but people are still traveling. Listen to the airline CEOs talk over the last 24 hours or so about the pickup in leisure travel. People are out and, and about. And oh, by the way, interest rates are low. Where else are you going to put your money, Mike Wilson? Well, that's a different conversation about putting your money to, you know, there's no place to go. I mean, 
it comes down to risk re- risk reward, Scott. I mean, we're we tend to be a little bit ahead of the curve. We're willing to step in when things are shaky, and and then when things are frothy, we we want to fade certain parts of the market. So, getting back to your your first question, and growth is going to decelerate. It has to. Everybody knows that. You talk about that in the program all the time. The question is, is it going to decelerate more than where expectations are? And we think the answer there is yes. So right now, the, the market is expecting a deceleration. Analysts, strategists are all expecting a deceleration from these unsustainably high levels. That's, that's easy to of see. Course. The question is, is it going to decelerate more than people are expecting? And we think there are definitely pockets where that's going to happen. And but more importantly, the stock market is telling you that, right? These early cycle groups, whether it's home builders, some of the retailing uh, even semiconductors, we think, are starting to underperform as early cycle groups are telling you that it could be a little bit more significant than what people are expecting. What, what do you think the message in, in falling rates has been? Is it trying to forecast this slowdown that you see coming in the economy? The, the flip side, the counter, is it's all about the liquidity. Nothing more. Stop reading more into it than really the story makes. You know, we think it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, we uh, we saw rates move pretty sharply at the beginning of the year. That was our view in January, that rates would surprise on the upside. It did. But then it overshot, right? We had some technical features that took rates probably up a little bit too fast and too furious at the end of March. And then we seen a reset. We actually expected rates to come in. But now they've gotten to a level that we think it is signaling perhaps a bit of more of a slowdown than what people are anticipating or were anticipating, say, a month or two ago. I think Delta is a big part of that. When I talk to people in the bond community, they seem to be a bit more focused on Delta than folks in the equity community for whatever reason. So I think that's definitely weighing on on rates. I also think, once again, this uh, idea around uh, the payback and demand. And then, of course, the infrastructure bill has faded a bit in terms of its visibility and whether it's going to get passed or not and how big it's going to be. And that's a big deal for, for the bond market as well. So there's a confluence of things. It doesn't, doesn't have to be one just one item. But I absolutely think that there's still messaging from the rates market. It's not totally, uh, you know, ignorant to what's going on in the real world. Look, we're going to get to herd immunity, right? The road, the final stretch to it may be very painful, and it most likely will, considering the level of unvaccinated people we have in this country. However, once you do get to herd immunity and you start to look beyond that, you're telling me the economy is going to underperform. There are people who think the economy still doesn't represent the upside that exists post-pandemic, Mike. Well, look, we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about the next six months where we think the deceleration will be greater than anticipated. And then there'll be another leg to the economic recovery. So, you know, this is not 2018, 19, when we felt like we were moving towards the end of the cycle. That's not where we are, Scott. And I want to make that perfectly clear. We're in a bull market. We're having a, a correction under the surface right now that we think, okay, we can't guarantee you this, but we think what would result in it, the market itself, the, the index having a correction at the end, much like in 2018. And then, of course, 19 was a good year. So, you know, that's the setup, okay? We, we don't have a crystal ball. We're just telling you how we're seeing it right now. A lot of market indicators are telling us that the risk of an index level correction has not gone away. And in fact, I think is increasing as the longer it takes, the bigger the correction probably will be. I mean, I've been giving you credit on the air and saying, you know, directionally, you've been correct. I mean, we have had this rolling correction. It's the crescendo that we can have a, a debate and an argument or, or whatever about. I'd like to bring in the investment committee, if I could, to join the conversation. Josh Brown, is, is Mike Wilson right? Is he going to be right? Because, you know, I don't think people are prepared 
for another 10 plus percent downside of the S&P 500. I think when you go through the biggest stocks that really matter the most, it's very hard to make the case that there's a correction imminent because the at the index level, you're not going down 10 or 15 percent, which is a true correction, unless you get these stocks to break down. They all just broke out, so I don't really get it. Um, when you look at charts of Amazon, Alphabet, uh, Apple, Microsoft, they all spent a lot of time consolidating, which we would call a correction through time, and now they've just broken out. And in the case of, like, let's just very quickly take a look at two of them, because I think this is important. If you take a look at Microsoft, for example, like, it, this is not a stock that's indicating anything even remotely uh, close to a correction. It's the opposite. It's at all-time highs today. Uh, it added $440 billion in market cap this year. That's like combining J&J &J and J.P. Morgan. The amount of market cap Microsoft just added is bigger than Walmart. Is that a, an imminent correction? I'm not sure. Um, Apple spent a year doing nothing, just broke out. Amazon spent 11 months doing nothing, just broke out. So you really need those stocks to get hurt to get that 10% index level correction. They're like 40% of the market, and, and arguably they're the stocks that everyone pays the most attention to. So until you can make a case that there's something technical happening there where the selling is starting, it just feels either early or late um, and definitely not imminent. Mike Wilson, how do you counter that? Because I think Josh makes a great point. You've had a rolling correction that sort of slammed into a brick wall when these big mega cap tech stocks started to work again. Well, that's great. And, and look, I mean, we had a correction in those stocks last fall, right? So they underperformed dramatically from September of last year until basically April. And then since April, they've outperformed, as Josh has said. And I, I think he's dead right. I mean, you're not going to have a meaningful correction at the index level if those stocks keep going up. But if they do correct, then you'll have the correction. So why do we think that's going to happen? I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the, the breadth of the market, okay, has never really been this narrow at all-time highs, all right? And that just tells us that people are being forced into those stocks because they're the ones that are working, and it's FOMO, price momentum, whatever you want to call it. And that's not a great foundation to kind of, you know, put your hat on. The second thing I would say is that after the first quarter earnings season, all of those stocks did have a 10% correction uh, on a sell-the-news event. So that may be the catalyst that we're looking at. And the third thing I would say, which is a bit of a unique view that we'll get pushed back on and we, we have in the past, is that we think that last year was very similar to Y2K, okay? Y2K, as I recall, was a situation where there was overspending on technology wares to deal with this, you know, sphere around the, the turn of the, of the millennium. Of course, then the next year we had a giant payback in spending because we'd already bought all these PCs and other peripherals to you know, protect from Y2K. It's a similar situation this time around. Work from home and digitalization of the economy to work from home and has pulled forward an enormous amount of technological spend. Doesn't mean the secular trend is bad, but it means there will be a payback. And a lot of these big no, but, companies are right in the but, center of that payback and demand. But, but Y2K was a joke. I mean, companies spent all this money for something that never actually happened. Now, I mean, all the concerns about the Y2K and all that nonsense. Um, now, I mean, the work from home thing was was legit. Technology is changing the way we do everything. Why, why are you going to get a massive slowdown in spending there? And if you've already had a correction, Mike, in these mega cap tech stocks, why are they going to correct again? 
once again, I, I wouldn't say that last year was all for like the continuation of the kind of spend we had last year would be unprecedented. We had a, we had a bubble in spending last year to deal with the pandemic, and that was a good thing. But it, you can't tell me that people are going to go out and buy the same number of PCs or electronic goods this year. Just PCs because, are know, not what are driving these stocks. Okay, so these software are services to run a business. These software are, to run a business, cloud well, computing to get all these small well, businesses running. But it's, we'll see how but it it's software, we'll see it's how software it subscriptions. Okay. It's software subscriptions. It's not enterprise. It's not a one-time pull forward in demand like everybody bought a car. That I would agree with you on that. This is different. This is people adopting digital versions of things they did in the analog world and not letting them go. It's a pull forward of adoption. It's not a pull forward of dishwashers that we're talking about when we look at these stocks. People that begin to use AWS to power more of their business, they don't say, okay, I'm vaccinated, forget it, I don't need the cloud. So I don't like that analogy. I understand hey, Scott, why can I get in? it. I don't think it's applicable. Steve Weiss, go ahead. Yeah, first of all, in terms of Josh's luck, you don't, not everybody buys, everybody buys into technicals because they're going up, they're going to keep going up. For example, Bitcoin, the world was saying if it breaks 30,000, which it did, it's going to zero. Guess what? It bounced. I look at the fundamentals, and for me, the concern is, well, I don't see a 10 to 15% correction. And by the way, the market doesn't always warn you that corrections are coming. Stocks can break out and still correct. So you can't rely on that. Here's what I see. As I'm looking at my portfolio and other names that I'm thinking about putting in the portfolio, I see down earnings for 2022. I see them going further down in 2023. So unless the economy keeps this pace and you see revisions upward, one of three things has to happen. Either, as I said, we get revisions upward, we get multiple contraction, which I don't see because the multiple's there already, or the stocks reset lower. Doesn't have to mean 15%, but there are plenty of stocks, to, to Mike's point, that continue to correct by those levels. Look at some of the commodities, they're already giving it up. Look at some of the consumer product companies, they're giving it up. And in terms of Josh's view, in terms of the pull forward, it won't be, to Mike's view, marrying the two, you had a very big pull forward of adoption. But you'll see a slowing of that adoption since some of that demand's already been met. And that may unsettle the market and cause it to sell. It doesn't mean let me ask you that this, Steve Weiss. Let me ask you this. Do, do you, yeah. do you, let me ask you this. Do you think, do you think the recovery is fully priced in to the stock market at this point? By and large, I do think it's priced into the market. Because unless Europe all of a sudden turns around and starts recovering like the U.S., I did. Does, does someone disagree? Jim Labenthal, you, you think it is? I don't I think you think it is. I totally disagree. No, I totally disagree. And I think you also have to respect where prices are. Now, Steve, I mean, you, you and I are in a lot of these uh, cyclical stocks, right? And we can look at something like, well, look, I'll take some, some stocks I'm in, right? Alaska Airlines is off 20% from its recent high. Cleveland Cliffs is 20% off its recent high. Uh, Marathon Petroleum is 20% off its recent high. And the point I'm driving at is not just that these stocks have corrected, but they're anticipating a growth slowdown that, frankly, there 
is no sign of. There's just no sign of growth slowing down. It's going the other direction. Let, let, let me look just look at correct. air traffic and look at how. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Look at air traffic and how that is propelling airlines revenue and how that should be propelling and is propelling jet fuel prices and refinery profits. I mean, these stocks. To the extent that we're questioning whether the stock market is priced in a recovery or not, we have to recognize these stocks are off 20% in about six weeks. That's an opportunity. This is not done. We're in the early stages of an economic expansion. We're not well, that's done. That's a good point you make. That's a good point you make, Jim. Hang on, Steve. That's a good point you make to, to Mike Wilson, right? A, a lot of these stocks have come down enough that people are buying the dip. I mean, a 3% pullback in the S&P 500 over a couple of days felt nasty, obviously. And look what happened so quickly on the other side. We got it all back and then some because I think people still believe the story is going to get better from here, Mike, more more do than your point of view that the economy is going to be worse off than many people think. Yeah, I mean, look, both of those can be correct. But when talking about the economy or company performance versus stock price movements are totally different animals. And uh, we would agree with the idea that some of these areas that we, we like are, are pulling in 20% or so or probably buy candidates. Look, we're fully invested. I mean, we're, we run a $3.5 trillion wealth management business, okay? And we're fully invested. But, you know, we're trying to add performance beyond just being fully invested in the indices. And you know, we do a good job of that by rotating around to the right areas. And, and now what we're saying is that rotational activity has kind of run its course, right? Everything has kind of gone through a correction, including the big tech stocks that Josh and I were just discussing earlier in the year and, and late last year, okay? So we've had a rolling correction. Now we're at a point where kind of everything's full and there's nowhere else to go. So that's usually when the index has a correction. By the way, if you're, if you're in the market for the next five or 10 years, this is noise for you. Okay. This is this is the market may have an index level correction. When you you're fully invested and you have a balanced portfolio, you're trying to move it around into areas that look attractive. When they get attractive, you buy them. You buy that dip. That's good investing. Okay. What we're talking about right now is a very tactical situation that we're trying to you know add value to our clients. We'll avoid a little bit of a correction and, and move our portfolio in a way that maybe the stocks that we own aren't going to go down as much. That's our job. That's what we do for a living. And you know we try to do that in a good Scott, way. You could have a correction without Sorry, having man. every stock go down simultaneously. Hang, hang on, Steve. I'd like to get a, I'd like to get Carrie in. She has a question. I'll come back to you. Chill for a sec, Carrie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, hi, Mike. Nice to see you. Um, the question is related to the beta of the market, and if we were to say that um, reducing beta or limiting your exposure is something that you might uh, recommend right now because of the concerns of market correction, 10 to 15 percent. Uh, there's a, a chart. You might have seen it. Some people have used it. Uh, Vinny put it together for me today where you can see that tech stocks or the large, you know, mega cap tech and digital companies have uh, shown, uh, interestingly, outperformance when interest rates have gone down. So when investors are enthusiastic about GDP, they go down. They've been underperforming this year. When interest rates go up, right, they underperform. When interest rates have gone down, they've started to outperform. That speaks a bit against the notion that you would reduce beta when you feel, meaning tech, 
and big mega cap growth when we're feeling less positive about the economy. You, you see what they've done over the last month as interest rates have come down and we've had the Delta uh, variant. So what do you make about this idea of being less exposed to, you know, kind of a lot of risk in the market, but at the same time take advantage of what the market is feeling defensive about, which seems to be technology? No, it's a really good point, Gary. And, and look, that's why, you know, the large cap tech stocks have outperformed in the last six weeks because the market has sort of hunkered down and these stocks are defensive, right? They're not treated as such such growth companies. And the, the high multiple growth stocks have not really participated in the last six or eight weeks. Those stocks have kind of lagged. And so, look, the, the big cap tech stocks are a safe haven. They're, they're treated that way. So, you know, just to get back to exactly. the discussion earlier, we're not expecting the big cap tech stocks to go down more necessarily than the overall market. I was addressing Josh's point to say that the market can't go down unless they go down too. And that's really our view is that ultimately we think that the, the growth slowdown will, will be significant enough that people will start to question the sustainability or achievability of earnings estimates, even for those companies in the short term, in the short term, not the long term. And that with rates down, they've already gotten the benefit of that through the multiple channel. Steve Weiss, I'll come back to you as we're just looking at stocks. I believe you own the entire FANG complex. I know many of our viewers I do. do as well. Uh, these stocks have a lot of newfound momentum and a lot of money continues to go into them. I'm looking at Apple at 147. It's three bucks away from its high. Josh has pointed out some of the gains in these, in these other stocks of late. There's uh, days that go by where we say such and such stock, Microsoft, new all-time high today. Google, new all-time high today. Amazon, new all-time high. Apple approaching a new, new all-time high. Yeah, and, you know, the only point I wanted to make is that, and I'm not trying to parse my words here, is that I believe the recovery is over in terms of the big bump from what the pandemic did, which was really depressed demand. Now I think we're in a normal economic cycle where it'll move higher. So I don't think the stocks are done going up. In terms of the fangs, look, those are all weather stocks. Those are all market kind of stocks. And I don't think you trade around them except unless there are exogenous events going on, perhaps because of Facebook with antitrust. So I don't see that as a real threat. So I own those. I've owned them for a long time, been in and out of Facebook. But the others, I've been there forever and I will. And as you look at stocks and your portfolio and you look at just the overall market, what stocks always work out and continue to go up? Okay, we talk about super cycles in commodities. Guess what? They go up, then they go down right to where they are. We talk about chemicals, same thing. We talk about airlines, the same things. But what always move up? The technology stocks and particularly the fangs. So that's why it makes up collectively the biggest part of my portfolio. I'm shocked, though, to hear you say, Steve, that you think now we're in a quote-unquote because I wrote it down. I'm so surprised. Normal economic cycle? How can we possibly be in a normal economic cycle if we're literally just getting out and starting to live our lives on the other side of a pandemic that's kept us in the house? It's kept us off airplanes. It's kept us out of hotels and theme parks and movie theaters and casinos. And I could go on and on. How is this normal? Because the stocks are discounting mechanisms and they moved up in advance of it. So yeah, maybe they're underestimating. That are increasing by, possibly. 
possibly, but you have, I'm not saying growth is stopping again. I'm saying it's going to moderate. And I don't think it's going to moderate in the quarter we're in because you still have those very easy comps. But you've never seen a period in time in history where ad infinitum, you had quarter over year over year earnings growth of 60%, which is what we have this quarter. So I think you go back to traditional earnings growth, not this quarter again, maybe not next quarter, but definitely next year, you'll see us go back to what companies typically do. With the exception of 5G and where there's continued to be innovation. Pharma Jim, help me out here. Yeah, well, look, he's he's not off, right? It's it's tautological to say you can't grow at 60% per annum. But this ties right back into Mike's uh, sort of central thesis of demand pull forward. Let's say you did pull forward demand, and that's being reflected in 65% year-over-year earnings growth. If that's the case, look, that means this year's earnings could come in around $200 on the S&P 500. You're only at 21 times, 21 and a half times this year's earnings. If you get even 8% growth next year, which is way below where estimates are, you're going to be below 20 times on next year's earnings. And I'm going to tell you the market's cheap with where interest rates are, where stimulus is, where the Fed is. I, I just think the demand pull forward, which both Mike and Steve are now saying, um, you know, I don't think that means that you have lost that much demand from, from next year. And relative to prices, look, Mike, actually, you said it wisely. You said if you're investing over the next five to ten years, which all of us should, then this is noise. And I think the discussion of a correction is noise. You are supposed to be invested. I have almost every dollar invested at this point in time. And, Mike, you'd be the first to say that you think, and I'll give you the last word here, Mike Wilson, um, that you think we're still well within a secular bull market, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, that began in 2009. And we had a cyclical bear market last year, which you know was around a recession, very typical. And so far, the playbook is playing out nicely. It's just playing out faster. I mean, and the last word I would point out is, I mean, this is the shortest recession in history, right? Two months. Um, and so you had to act quickly last year. Fortunately, we did. And we captured a good chunk of the gains. Right. So what I would say is that this cyclical bull market that we're in now as part of the bigger secular bull market, a lot of the returns have been pulled forward because it was the shortest recession ever. We stimulated the heck out of the economy and we did pull forward some of the returns and some of the demand. Mike, I appreciate it as always. I know our viewers do as well. Thanks for kicking it around. Generous with your time today. We appreciate that. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley joining us. Dom Chu has a news alert for us. Hey, Dom. All right, so, Scott, a lot of uh, viewers and listeners out there might be experiencing some widespread difficulty trying to access certain websites, especially financial ones. We are having major, a lot of reports now of major websites that are down in what appears to be a widespread outage in certain parts of the Internet. Uh, a lot of cloud-based servers telling their clients that they are having issues that they are trying to resolve. We've heard a number of reports on social media that, Key websites from places like Fidelity and Schwab are also experiencing some of those difficulties as well, not allowing people to log into some of those platforms. Uh, so, again, this is affecting a number of websites. Some reported ones that have been affected so far, Scott, include Delta Airlines, also UPS, AT&T, Costco, among others. We'll bring you more details as we know more, but that's the reason why a lot of you folks out there might not be able to see or might be having some slow Internet issues. That's what's going on right now, Scott. Back over to you guys. Unnoticed. Avis was down. Uh, I'm seeing another tweet as we speak. To your point, you specifically mentioned Fidelity, uh, Dom, and that's what uh, I'm getting from a, a viewer as well, letting us know that they're unable to trade on that platform. 
uh, at the current time. So we'll continue to follow the story. Dom Chu, we appreciate that very much. We do have the committee making some moves that we need to talk about. We'll do that next. We're back in just two minutes. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Okay, we're back. Let's talk about some of these moves our committee members are making. Josh Brown, I understand you just bought Bristol Myers, BMY. Yeah, I don't want to trigger Weiss, but this one's on technicals. I believe that fundamentals tell you what to buy. Technicals tell you the optimal time to buy it. I don't know if this is going to end up being a... Let me just, I'm just going to jump in. Josh, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but your, your audio is not working too well. Um, I, it's disconcerting to, li- to listen to it for our viewers. Uh, we'll try and come back to you. Just hold your horses for a second, guys. Can we, can we try and fix that? Steve Weiss, I come to you. Um, you're short the SMH. You want to tell me about this trade? Sure. Uh, we've had a couple of stocks, uh, bellwether stocks, so to speak, that have come out. Um, Texas Instruments uh, was a little disappointing in their guide. That stock's taking some heat. We saw that we had Taiwan Semi last week, which I owned, which got hit. And I don't think it boasts particularly well for the group. Uh, supply chain issues are there, but I think it could be rocky for the, ne- for the semis going forward. So I'm not looking to give up my positions, but I did want to take some protection out and, some, and hedge it out. And the stock's had such a huge move that I just think it makes sense. There's been a sell in the news type of wave in the market anyway. So that's why I sure still in, oh, It's clear. I, and I, I think you just said that you're still in uh, Qualcomm. You're still in Corvo. You're still in Skyworks. You're still bullish 5G. You just made a hedge move by shorting the, yep. the SMH. Correct. You know... It's just risk management, period. No, I hear you. This makes me want to bring up Texas Instruments, which is down nearly 5% today, Um, you know, which has some people thinking about what's happening in the chip space overall. Steve, you have a thought or Jim, actually, Jim Labenthal, you you have a thought on what's happening with Texan? Well, look, you know what? Actually, semis were brought up. I think Mike brought them up just just a little while ago. And there's a lot of churn going on in that space. But it's the churn that is what makes up consolidation. We know that semis and Texas Instruments and Qualcomm and all these things had fabulous runs in 2020. So far in 2021, they're trying to find their legs. It's a process. So I'm not worried about Texas Instruments or Qualcomm or NVIDIA, which has come off. I don't own it, but it's come off. All of these stocks are simply consolidating, which sets up the next leg higher. I think you are supposed to be long semis, period. Choose which ones you want, but you're supposed to be long and overweight semis for the next one to two years. Carrie, you agree with that or disagree? Oh, you know, we don't own any of the semis, and I think it's been a fantastic opportunity that we missed in NVIDIA in particular, but we have a limited number of names in the portfolio. They've had uh, great growth over the last uh, year, you know, plus, so the tech names are not uh, semis, although, you know, I, I, I tend to think that uh, the ones that 
can participate in the acceleration of demand on cloud-based computing and uh, gaming and the devices that we all use are the ones that I would own. So NVIDIA, if it pulled back, if we get the uh, Mike Wilson correction, I'd like to own NVIDIA, but that's probably the only one of them I would. Why are you trimming BX, Blackstone? I I noticed you're you're trimming that stock's up 5% today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We've owned this for a long time. It's one of our largest positions. Had a great quarter, really great quarter. Private equity and real estate are the two drivers. Their assets under management are getting close to $900 billion, close to a trillion, much better than expected. Uh, The dividend payout is now over 5%. And, you know, it's just been such a great stock. It's up 85% over the last 12 months. And uh, given that it's, you know, four four and a half percent of our portfolio, we've decided that we should cut back a little bit. It's a trim. It's not a uh, eliminate the position. But this is just, you know, a perfect, um, perfect storm of good for Blackstone. And perhaps it's a time to take some off the table. OK, we uh Hopefully we'll have Josh Brown's audio after the break. I, I know you want to hear more about this trade that he made, uh, I think, just before the show. In fact, this Bristol Myers. We'll get that fixed. Up next, two bullish calls on two Dow stocks, Honeywell and Boeing. The debate is next in our calls of the day. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The White House's coronavirus response coordinator, Jeff Zients, says that 40 percent of all new U.S. COVID cases are happening in just three states, Florida, Texas and Missouri. He says that Florida alone is responsible for one in five infections across the country. And all the news, a push for more testing, the battle over mask wearing, and also a look at who might need booster shots tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. The White House is reportedly getting ready to impose sanctions on Cuban officials. That's over their role in crackdowns on anti-government protests earlier this month. Reuters says that the sanctions will target security force officials accused of human rights abuses against activists. More than two dozen kinds of prepackaged muffins are being recalled. That's due to possible listeria contamination. The muffins are sold nationwide in stores, including Walmart, Stop and Shop and 7-Eleven. Consumers are being told to immediately throw the muffins away. And in Milwaukee, hundreds of thousands of people expected to flood the downtown area for the parade, celebrating the Bucks' first NBA championship in 50 years. The festivities just about getting underway right now. Scott, good thing you interviewed Mark Lazary yesterday because yeah. he's uh, clearly a little busy today. Yes, just a little bit. All right, Rahel, thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, let's talk about some of these earnings movers, guys. And um, it tees up a good conversation between Jim and, and Steve Weiss. What else is new? Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Steve Weiss, I'm going to go to you first on this. It's down about two and a third percent. The reason I'm coming coming to you is that you bought a little more. Tell tell us why you took advantage of the the dip here to buy actually more stock. Yeah, so it it is a core position uh, and valet is another one. 
Of course, Cleveland Cliffs is more steel than pure iron ore. But I thought the quarter was fine. I thought the guidance was fine. It lagged what the street was looking for on the optimistic side, and the stock sold off. So I bought it before the conference call around $20 level, so I'm not making some dough on. This is just a trading portion of it. I thought it was bound. CEO always does a good job on the call, as, as Jim will agree, and actually pointed out. So that's why I bought it. I just thought it was oversold. However, in terms of the space, as I look at these material stocks, I look at the chemical stocks, Dow also had a good quarter. They had good guidance, and the stock's down. So I think the market's looking for an exit opportunity in these names. I believe they'll bounce, that right now they're too highly correlated with the 10-year, which is showing a lower yield today. When that yield rises, and it will, these stocks will rise, and that's probably when I'll hit the, uh, hit the exit. Farmer Jim, I mean, Weiss says the quarter was just okay. You, you take issue with that characterization? I mean, this is a big, a big position of yours. Yeah, it's my biggest. Um, so, you know, this is the devil's in the details. The, the quarter was just okay because they had pre-announced three times and they even beat their pre-announcement. So, you know, yeah, it was just okay because the expectations had gone so high. But I think the really important thing here is what's going forward. Free cash flow in the coming quarter is going to be $1.4 billion in the coming quarter. Uh, and estimates right now are $1 billion. So that's a huge, huge beat on the guidance. What you're going to see over the coming weeks is analysts upgrading their numbers and their opinions on the stock. So you're going to get upward pressure on that. But I think you need to take this to end game. They've actually now put out a date of next year they're going to be at net zero, date, uh, net zero debt. They're going to have no debt. That's next year. That's, you know, six to 12 months from now. What happens after that is you have massive, massive free cash flow back to us as shareholders. So, you know, you can get caught up in a quarter and miss the big picture here, which is just stand by. You're going to be receiving cash over the next one to two years. That's going to make your make you make you just fly on wings. <laughs> I think we fixed Josh's <laughs> you know, audio now. That, I'm going to I'm just going to jump away from what we're doing now, because I, I do want to hear about this new Bristol Myers buy of yours, Josh. You want to can you tell me about it now? Yeah, the stock is breaking out right now. So we saw Johnson and Johnson do this uh, about two months ago. The whole XLV is the strongest sector in the market right now. Looks incredible. Um, the XLV is up today. It's been bucking the trend of the overall market. This is one of the bigger weights. They bought Celgene in 2019. They spent all of 2020 underperforming as they digested that massive acquisition. Now that acquisition is starting to pay off. This is a stock that's gone nowhere in five years. You guys know that I love this setup. The longer the base, the bigger the space. Now that it's breaking out, I don't think there's a lot of resistance until you get back to 2016 levels in the mid to high 70s. And I think it won't have much uh, trouble with that resistance either. So the fundamentals, the technicals line up very well. It's a 3% dividend yield while you wait. I think your risk here is boredom. And quite frankly, if you look at the uh, evaluation of the stock versus other uh, healthcare giants, I think it's got room to stretch that out too. They're in the midst of a $6.5 billion uh, stock buyback. They've been raising that dividend every year for seven years. I just like a lot of what's going on here, not to mention all the blockbuster drugs. Yeah. That stocks at the highs of the day. Um, I did move off of cliffs uh, just a moment too fast. I wanted to tee up the fact that the CEO that, that we've talked about is on the closing bell today at four o'clock. Uh, so you can hear from Lorenzo Goncalves uh, coming up a little bit later, which I know all of you all will want to. Um, Alaska Airlines is where I want to go next, Jim. It's it's I think your only airline position 
the stock is up about one and a third percent. The other CEOs who were on the network, I felt, were, you know, reasonably optimistic about where things are, uh, given a pickup in leisure travel. What do you see? Well, here, the thing about Alaska is it's basically all leisure travel, right? So if you're American Airlines or Delta, you've got to ask the question of when is international travel coming back? And that's a question you can't answer right now. But for every airline, including those big ones, but especially Alaska and Southwest, leisure travel is going through the roof. And, you know, anybody who's tried to book a flight recently knows this. It's hard to get flights. The prices are incredible, uh, incredibly high, that is. So, you know, you're, you're in a good situation here. The sentiment has been negative on these names. I mentioned, uh, you know, it's down almost 20 percent from its high of about uh, six weeks ago. This is a great entry point. I mean, the, we, we had this discussion earlier in the in the show, right, Scott? The, the economy is reopening right now. People are flying. People are booking flights. Uh, wonderful balance sheet. Well-run company. This is this is an entry point right here on Alaska. All right, good stuff. We'll make that the last word there. Ask Halftime is coming up next. You can send your questions by video. We will play them on the air. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. The Investment Committee is answering your questions now. Let's get right to it. Carrie, a question for you is on Peloton. Okay. So the question, uh, is there any specific question or just what we think? I don't have it in front of me. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so what do we think about Peloton here? Um, as we know, the stock had a big run last year. Then it hit the skids, came down a lot as the reopening happened, and they had a recall of the, uh, tread, um, the treadmill. And now the stock is starting to come back again. We had bought it uh, in the low hundreds, again, at 84. It's been on a tear since then. We think there will be potentially 10 million subs. There are 2 million now. We see a long runway, no pun intended, for uh, Peloton. It's number one in this field subscription model. Just made a big deal with UNH, which we see a lot of potential over the next several years. So we like the stock. We do. Yes, that's my bad, Kerry. Um, that's from Mary Ellen in the uh, Dominican Republic. And it was about whether Peloton can sustain its growth. Thanks for rolling with that. M- my bad for throwing you a, a little bit yeah. of a curveball there. Next question. I Thank followed you. Steve Weiss Thank into uh, Erickson and uh, got my face ripped off. Uh, now what do I do? That's from John in Salt Lake City. All right, Mr. Weiss, what do we do? Hey. Hey, John. Well, you didn't follow me when I went in because I've owned this for for just over a year with the cost substantially lower at nine and change. I still like it. Uh, This quarter wasn't great because China put them in the penalty box and their market share went down to two percent from double digits because the Swiss said we're not doing business Huawei. So it points out the perils of doing business in China. However, there are only two solutions here, Nokia and Ericsson. I still like Nokia. I'm still there. I haven't sold any. Okay, for Jim, do you still like Kinder Morgan? And if so, do you have a price target? Yeah, so the short answer is yes, I do. And I know this stock has been a little vexing for some people. It's off about 8 9% from its high, but it's also up 28% on the year. Don't forget the 6% dividend yield. Now, they just reported earnings that were better than expected. Second quarter in a row, I expect that to continue. In terms of a price target, 
I see this in the low 20s, 22, 23, over the next 12 months. That's an excellent return, particularly when you put the uh, dividend on top of it. So I, I would buy Kinder Morgan here. All right, Josh, Jason in Chicago, I know you like uh, CrowdStrike. What about Checkpoint? I have a position. Should I buy more on weakness or hold tight? So Checkpoint is really a shockingly uh, bad stock over the last five years. It's actually flat from 2018 with the cybersecurity spending uh, growing globally by leaps and bounds. You could have been virtually in any other of their competitors and doubled or tripled your money, CrowdStrike included. So I'm not a fan. I know this company's become a, a punching bag for the CEO of Palo Alto who used to work at Checkpoint and now regularly pokes fun at them. Uh, I think they've invested too much in profitability and not enough in growth, and this is the result that you get. So I hope that narrative changes and the stock starts to work out, but that's what's held it back until now. And as a result, I really haven't focused on it. I'm very happy with CrowdStrike. It's two points away from, from an all-time record high as we speak and doing all the right things business-wise. So I'm gonna stay with where I am, and I wish you luck with where you are. All right, good stuff for you. I'll take a quick break. We still have final trades to do, more to talk about as well. We'll do that in two minutes. We're back. I want to talk about Honeywell. Why? Because Stephen Tuza over at J.P. Morgan, ahead of earnings, has reiterated the stock, their top pick, uh, close to an all-time high. Steve Weiss, you sold it at the end of last year. Sorry about that. Jim Labenthal's looking at it right now. Jim, are you you're buying it or not? What does looking at it mean? I go, well, I mean, so you go to the store, you look at something. Are you buying I, it I or know. not? <laughs> no, because because I own Boeing, I own Alaska Airlines, and I own Raytheon Technology. And I have about a 25-stock portfolio, Scott. So, like, I've got a huge airline aerospace exposure right now. Oh, by the way, Northrop Grumman, too. Um, I think this is a high-quality company, but I like those other four before I like Honeywell. And Honeywell is predominantly okay. aerospace. So I've made my All call. Right. All right. Final trades coming up next. to final trades in just a moment. We are getting some more information, though, about that uh, big Internet outage. Uh, we do have a statement from Akamai regarding that. Quoting now, we have implemented a fix for this issue, and based on current observations, the service is resuming normal operations. We will continue to monitor to ensure that the impact has been fully mitigated. That coming from Akamai here in the midst of that Internet outage we've been talking about. Let's do final trades. Carrie, you're up first. What do you have for us? Uh, CME, if you're looking at volatility approaching, it's the largest derivatives and commodities and one of the biggest platform for trading in the world, CME Group. Okay, thank you for that. Josh Brown. Don't sleep on the honey hot chicken this summer at Shack. I think it's propelling the stock back to triple digits. All right. Farmer Jim. Stevie Wonder. I mean, Stevie Weiss is right about Qualcomm. Get on that right now. All right, Steve. Uh, so Josh does do fundamental work. I'm going with uh, Freeport, which I added to during the show okay. today. All right, great stuff. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.